Hello and welcome to the Gateway House podcast. I'm Samir Patil, fellow for International Security Studies. The use of unmanned systems by non-state actors has increased significantly since the attack on Saudi Aramco facilities in September 2019. More recently, in May 2021, it was reported that Israeli Defense Forces took out an underwater unmanned system belonging to the Hamas terrorist group. This has highlighted a growing proliferation of unmanned systems beyond the conventional alien domain to the underwater domain as well. Closer home, India too has experienced a significant uptick in the use of unmanned systems, especially on its Western front, where drones are used to perpetrate smuggling of arms and explosives from across the border. In a sign of escalation, in June 2021, two drones were used to drop explosives at an Indian Air Force station in Jammu. The risk of asymmetric warfare from this growing proliferation is ever-increasing. The prolific use of unmanned aging systems during the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict, as well as the use of unmanned underwater systems by China, brings into focus the tactical benefits of such systems, as well as the role of state actors. Undoubtedly, countering unmanned systems is at the top of the minds of defense strategists all over the world, including India. To discuss this issue, we have with us today Zachary Karenborn. She's a research affiliate at the Unconventional Weapons and Technology Division of National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism at the University of Maryland. She has also consulted for numerous US government agencies, including the Departments of State, Defense, Commerce, and Homeland Security. Welcome, Mr. Karenborn, to this edition of the Gateway House podcast. Now, Based on what we have seen in the last few years, what trends do you see going forward as far as threats from standalone unmanned systems are concerned, both in the aerial and underwater domains? Yeah, so first off, uh, thanks for having me. Um, so threat-wise, it's going to really depend on what actors we're really talking about here. You can think about, you know, all three levels of actor. You have sort of great powers, middle powers, and, you know, terrorist actors. Um, at the great power level, I think the types of threats we're seeing is greater expansion and capability around existing UAVs, where, you know, UAVs have been used by military powers for quite a while here. But you're getting higher levels of sophistication when uh, you combine with autonomy and artificial intelligence. Uh, so, for example, US. Uh, DARPA did a test last year where um, they had a fight between an F-16 and an artificial intelligence system. The artificial intelligence system ended up winning pretty uh, conclusively. And so that's what we're seeing at like the great power level. That said, you know, for like smaller and middler powers, they aren't necessarily having that level of capability. And I think the threats that we see there are more along the lines of instability and equality. That is what we saw, for example, in the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, in which Azerbaijan made extensive and quite successful use of unmanned aerial vehicles and very quickly I was able to defeat the Armenian forces. Um, in conflicts like that, where we have like, levels of inequality where one side has a bunch of drones and one side doesn't, uh, I think you're going to see some level of instability uh, going on there. Um, and I realize I'm mostly hitting UAVs at the moment, so I think I'll circle back through all three of these uh, with UUVs. And with the smaller threat side of like terrorist organizations, I think we have increasing adoption and interest in those capabilities. And that's fairly significant because UAVs particularly allow uh, overcoming a wide variety of ground-based defenses where terrorist attacks over the past uh, you know few decades have been focused on very ground-based threats, things like you know vehicle-borne IEDs, suicide bombers, something like that. But if you have a cheap drone, you effectively 
effectively have a cheap air force to drop bombs, carry out attacks, and overcome some of those ground-based defenses. So in terms of UUVs, I think we see very similar dynamics, but the threat calculus is somewhat uh, subtly different. So within the great power space, the big concern I have with UUVs from a threat perspective is what that means for nuclear stability. There's been some arguments about creating more transparent oceans where you have much better insight into what's going on in the ocean through you know, the use of collective UUVs that may form networks, carry out cheap sensors, and just sort of explore the ocean, potentially even carry out attacks. How serious that is, I think it's at least a very plausible uh, concern. The challenge is you know, for potential initial decapitation strike in which you would potentially need to locate all nuclear submarines um, reliably, which is that's a tough order, but it's not entirely implausible. In fact, uh, during the Cold War, the U.S. intelligence community believed that they had sufficient understanding of Soviet uh, nuclear uh, submarines that they actually could have carried out a decapitation strike should they want to. So it's at least theoretically plausible. Um, UUVs for middling powers, I don't see as being all that much of a concern. Um, I suppose it's like relatively easier access to a submarine basic technology where it may normally be much more expensive and complex to create and have a big uh, submarine. But if you can get a UUV commercially or just develop a military one, that's going to be uh, lower your price and capability there. For terrorist organizations, I don't see it as a major threat. I think submarine cables are one, you know, potentially severing internet connections, data connections. Um, but besides that, I think it's mostly like a smuggling risk gang organizations and stuff like that, moving material, supplies, and other illicit goods. I don't see it as a huge issue there. Thank you. You've also written extensively on swarming drones as the future weapons of mass destruction. Can you elaborate on this a bit more? Yeah, sure. So when it comes to weapons of mass destruction, there are really two essential criteria that sort of binds our traditional weapons of mass destruction, that is chemical, biological, nuclear, and to a lesser extent, radiological weapons. And that's that they are, number one, capable of causing significant casualties in a single attack. AK-47s, for example, they may spread throughout the world and cause lots of casualties, but in a single attack, there's only so much you can do with a single AK-47. By contrast, with a large amount of chemical weapons agent or biological weapons agent, of course, a nuclear weapon, you can potentially wipe out most of a city. And the second criteria I see is the indiscriminate nature of these weapons. That is, like with a chemical or biological agent, for example, a bad wind condition might blow the agent into a you know, non-military uh, civilian population. And there's not really an effective way to control exactly exactly where that hits. Likewise, with nuclear weapons, they're simply so massively destructive that you're going to kill a whole lot of innocent people. So I see those same criteria as applicable to particularly large-scale drone swarms when they are fused with artificial intelligence and autonomy. So the challenge for scale, drone swarms can theoretically scale up to any amount of drones that you want. There are, of course, going to be practical challenges with it. And at some point, you run into diminishing returns. But uh, the U.S. military, for example, is has been doing modeling of what happens if we have a drone swarm of up to a million drones working under the sea, on the surface, and the air all operating together. So you can essentially have as many drones as you want. Now, whether you know it's more useful to have a million than 999,999, that's a you know different question entirely. But theoretically, you could have as much destructive capability as you want. So that meets the first criteria there of massive destructive capability in a single attack. And then the second one there comes from autonomy and control. That is the indiscriminate nature. A wide variety of computer scientists and programmers are very concerned about autonomous weapons, particularly because of the, the brittleness and unexplainability of the systems where our artificial intelligence could beat the most advanced chess and Go players uh, in the world, uh, but they don't
don't have the simple judgment that we take for granted. One study looked at, they took like a regular apple and the machine vision algorithm classified the apple as an apple of like 99% certainty. But then when the researchers put a sticky note on it that said iPod, it classified the apple as an iPod with 99% certainty. So it's relatively easy to fool. And that's a problem when we talk about massive scale swarm, that huge amount of drones, and they're all operating autonomously, and they're so easily fooled, that can create a pretty significant challenge in controlling the actual harm. Those two levels of capability of high amount of harm coupled with indiscriminate nature, that's potentially a pretty major uh, global challenge. Great. So how must nations shape their strategy to counter such dynamic threats from unmanned systems at the conventional as well as the unconventional level, both nationally and multilaterally? So I think the national level, there's a few things that can do. First of all, I think one of the big ones is looking at to what extent export controls might be useful to try and limit the proliferation of this technology. We certainly also need to do threat assessments, both unclass and classified, to try and better, and as well as, you know, folks like yourselves and the think tank world and academia to better understand, like, what are the trends? What are the real risks here? There needs to be red teaming as a part of that to figure out what are the real scary scenarios here. Coupled with that, from a military perspective, we need to consider um, what information capabilities and information warfare. Uh, as it strikes me as a lot of like UAVs and unmanned systems, as well as swarms in particular, are often uh, very information dependent. Uh, they're susceptible to jamming um, for electronic warfare type attacks. Um, they're also cyber capabilities tend to be uh, important as well as potentially uh, anti-space capabilities dealing with because uh, many of these systems are often GPS controlled. I also think it's important to remember that even though the technology is different, in some ways it's a similar threat to other types of under sea systems as well as aerial systems and that a air defense system isn't going to discriminate between a drone and a, a regular aircraft. And there are some unique challenges there, particularly when we talk about swarming with the sheer numbers, that can be a challenge. I don't think there's any reason not to consider some basic options that are available already. At the level of dealing with terrorists, I think the challenge there is going to be how you protect particularly vulnerable critical infrastructure and trying to understand where those are, where a small amount of explosive material or unconventional material may create uh, more significant harm. At the multilateral level, I think there's a need to, again, sort of expand those non-proliferation efforts, particularly around export controls and building up international norms, particularly when it comes to some of those larger scale swarms. I'm not terribly sold that uh, there's any real need to ban or control drones other than that instability dynamic. But certainly when we're talking about uncontrollable, massive casualty-inducing weapons, I think that requires a greater international effort uh, that may come through the broader discussion around uh, autonomous weapons um, that's currently going on at the U United Nations around banning them. Uh, I'm not convinced by that effort either, but certainly something similar to that to try and restrict the spread is probably a good idea. Um, beyond that, yes, I think certainly research and development around countermeasures and understanding where the risks are. Yeah, so I think there's very much uh, value across the full national and multilateral uh, space to deal with the problem. And my last question is regarding the India-US defense technology cooperation. So recently, both the countries announced a strategic partnership agreement for the co-development of an air-launched UAV. What benefits would such a technology offer over the conventional UAVs? 
Yeah. So the main benefit I see initially is um, logistics and delivery. Think about like a swarm. Um, if you imagine that we make a swarm of a uh, hundred drones, a thousand drones, something like that. One of the big challenges you run into is, oh, how do we get those drones to the actual battlefield? You know, we're not going to hand carry a hundred different things. So having some sort of integrated carrier system tends to be really helpful. Now, I don't know in this case if they were looking at swarms specifically, but that logic I think is very applicable. You know, if I want to deliver a bunch of UAV to the battlefield, it's much easier if I you know, can carry them on a much larger ship. Uh, and that allows for much easier delivery where you can sort of spew out a whole bunch of different drones to carry out attacks on different types of targets, as well as just make it easier to transport. Of course, the challenge, though, is that also creates a vulnerability, right? If the drones are all being carried by this larger mothership type system, then that system is then potentially destroyable. And then you wipe out the entire capability if you manage to do that. So there are, you know, plus sides and uh, challenges with it. But overall, I mean, it makes sense to me that you would have a lot of value in augmenting general air launch capabilities um, as a support system, for example, to existing fighter jets, bombers, other types of airplanes, which has been a you know pretty major area of exploration around drones. Or so, for example, in the United States, we have like the Loyal Wingman system, which is sort of like a drone that supports a, a manned fighter jet. So that type of capability, I think, would be useful here as well. Thank you, Mr. Sakarikan for sharing your valuable insights on this really interesting topic. We hope to host you again in the future for another episode of Gateway House Podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Sure thing. And thank you for listening to the GH Podcast. To read our articles and listen to more podcasts, log on to www.gatewayhouse.in. Thank you. Great. Fascinating. Really fascinating something. So really, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Karen Pong, for sharing your valuable insights on this really interesting topic. And we hope to uh, host you again in the future for another episode of GH Podcast.